Welcome to False Flag Weekly News, the weekly news show broadcasting from outside the Western propaganda matrix. I'm Kevin Barrett in Sadia, Morocco, and the guest commentator today is the inimitable J. Michael Springman. How's it going, J. Mike? Oh, pretty good, I guess, for living in the state of confusion, otherwise known as Washington, D.C., but uh, I get a chance sometimes, like on your show, to, to speak my mind and then they give my views on uh, the world as it is, not as people think it, it ought to be. Well, I didn't realize that D.C. statehood had reached that point that it could officially be considered a state of confusion. But you you may have mentioned that before. All right. Well, I'm having some strange uh, computer lag issues, but hopefully they'll go away once we get into our slideshow and stay in our slideshow. Uh I will go ahead and hit my screen share. And here we are in the slideshow. And there's our slide of the week. We always have a, a, a weekly image that summarizes what we're up to this week. And then we have the music video of the week, an ever popular new phenomenon here at False Flag Weekly News. So let's uh, let's listen to our music video of the week, assuming it's gonna work. Come on, oh, I think we have to, uh, Look at it like this. Are we still sharing? Can you see the, the screen, Mike, or do you see me? I can see you. I can see myself, and I can see the screen. You can see the screen. Okay, that's yeah. good. So, so here we go. So this is uh, Talking Heads classic. Reworked. This ain't no disco, this is False Flag Weekly News. I have to talk over the music so the copyright people won't get me. All right, all right, let's go, go back to our uh, slideshow without the music. And there we go, okay. And the public service announcements for the week, what are those? Well, go to truthjihad.com, takes you to Iceland where you click on False Flag Weekly News, and there is our show for the week. You click on the first item, and that's our fundraiser. We've been doing really well. So thank you so much, folks, for keeping this show alive. And one more PSA today. This is the 11th of November. They call it Veterans Day in the U.S., Remembrance Day in the U.K., and various other things. It's all about the end of World War I. And for the two billion Muslims in the world, it uh, was not necessarily a good thing that the Ottomans were defeated because that set the stage for the current uh, series of catastrophes, including the genocide of Palestine, that's what World War I was really all about, was setting up the Zionist genocide of Palestine. So that's what we should be remembering on Remembrance Day. And uh, those are our PSAs. Now, the breaking news, I don't know if you saw this, Mike, but the breaking news in the New York Times is that the hospitals in Gaza are caught in deadly crossfire. So it's just crossfire. It's not like the Zionists are deliberately blowing up hospitals and actually surrounding uh the latest news is they've got a hospital surrounded with snipers they're firing through the windows and they kill people in the emergency room so now they have an even worse emergency uh but that's all just crossfire for the new york times even though it's all coming from only one side um you can't make this stuff up 
No, but the Washington Post surprisingly this morning had a column uh, that talked about how the Israelis were attacking hospitals and people were questioning this and wanting to know why. And uh, the implication was that uh, uh, the Israelis apparently had stepped over a line and enabled the Post to uh, put a, uh, an article on the front page that uh, made them appear less than good and less than mar- marvelous, less than democratic and less than moral. So uh, maybe the, the wheels are beginning to come off the wagon and some people are beginning to see it happen. Huh. Well, I, I could say I'm less than surprised, but I'm not. I'm actually more than surprised that the Washington Post actually has some decent stuff. There are times, too, it's not like everything is. But, but this is the front page headline today. Deadly crossfire in the hospital. I mean, it's just insane. You just can't, you know, that's, I don't even know where to start with that. Uh, and more breaking news, there's an Islamic summit happening in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia right now, where all of the world's leaders of the biggest Muslim countries all support the Palestinians, but they're not doing a whole lot, at least in public, to put their proverbial money where their mouth is. So, do you no, think I've seen a, wait, 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 a cartoon. A okay. Yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, I've seen a cartoon posted by an African journalist uh, that showed the explosions going on in occupied Palestine behind the um, uh, Haram al-Sharif. And the, uh, it was set up so that the, all these Arabs in their robes were sitting in their easy chairs in like a giant movie theater and just watching this and doing nothing else. Yeah, well, we hope they're, we know they're doing stuff behind the scenes. I mean, Hamas only exists because of a lot of the sign, behind the scenes help that it gets. But uh, we're going to need these guys to step up their game, whatever their game may be. And here's our, our shooting back section. There's a lot of uh, a lot of shooting back. Our music video documented some of it. And so I think, let's see, uh, these, well, these are some videos that you can find by way of Al Jazeera generally documenting the uh, amazing destructions of tanks and other military vehicles. So far, the Hamas and allied Palestinian fighters have taken out apparently something like about 150 Israeli uh, military vehicles. So uh, that's, uh, and let, yeah, let's look at some of this documentation. Let me get the, the screen share right this time. Um, for some reason, whenever I do uh, False Flag Weekly News, it seems like my uh, controls get really, really, really slow taking a look at what we're doing and slowing things down or what. But anyway, here's here's a, a shot, an early shot of a drone uh, taking out an Israeli tank. One of these totally destroyed a mark of a tank, and there, uh, the, uh, the second one in this video may or may not have. And then in this uh, this uh, next, I'm trying to advance the slide here. Come on, slide. Where's the, where's the next slide? There we go. Uh, here we have uh, some. This is, this is what you'd be watching if you're watching Arabic. Uh, with Abu Ubaida, uh, but you get the idea. So uh, this war is definitely not just a one-sided slaughter. Of course, there is the one-sided slaughter of civilians. The Israelis are just killing civilians, and the Palestinians are killing Israeli tanks. There, and the, how, how have you been following the military situation as the Israelis have kind of very slowly uh, advanced into Gaza City and some other neighborhoods? Well, I think they have been God's own time doing it because every time they knock down a building, it gives people a place to hide and shoot through the loopholes between the, the, the building blocks that have been collapsed upon the uh, the rubble. 
Uh, I have also seen things uh, talking about how, uh, oh, these are not really uh, tanks being blown up. It's just their explosive reactive armor uh, that's going off and protecting the tank. And uh, I sort of wonder about this because almost no information, like you've just shown here on, on the screen here, the last couple of slides, uh, showing that, yeah, these they are really being banged up and blown up and, and torn to pieces. Uh, but it's always the, the glorious Israeli army fighting back savages, subhuman types. And uh, you get no balance, you get no equality of reporting. It all comes out of Israel. Uh, and it's all bent to the Israeli Hasbara, the, the propaganda that they use. Yeah, well, so there have been a couple of these videos of the drones uh, dropping uh, essentially bombs on Israeli tanks. And one of them did document the destruction of the tank. But the other one, not so much. The one we saw is the one that we don't know for sure. Uh, what happened with that tank? Okay, so uh, Yemen is also uh, shooting at Israel. And here they knocked down an American drone. So that's one to add to the collection. Um, maybe in Sana'a they're starting a collection of American drones like the one I saw in Tehran. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was great. Remember that? They had a whole <laughs> string of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we toured the uh, the downed American drone museum. Actually, it was more than that, but that was a big part of that museum. It was uh, some pretty amazing downed drones, and then the reverse engineered ones that Iran's building. I guess the Yemenis are doing that too. Um, well, so all of this together doesn't mean that Palestine is about to come marching across Israel and uh, liberate historic Palestine anytime too soon. However, the strategic picture is far more pro-Palestine than anybody in the West seems to realize including in the alternative media. And you know, alternative media, a lot of it is just watching this slaughter of civilians, but that slaughter of civilians in Palestine is not really helping the Israelis accomplish any rational military objectives. And so I translated a piece from Al Jazeera uh, with an analysis of the kind that you never see in the Western media, and then added this video by Douglas McGregor. And that, that piece argued that for uh, a number of reasons, including Israel's uh, weakness in leadership, where like 26% of the people uh, want Netanyahu to stay in power and all the rest want him out. Uh, economy, uh, Israeli economy is falling apart. The Israelis don't have a plan in terms of what they're actually trying to achieve. They say they want to eliminate Hamas, but that's not possible. Uh, either military, they probably can't even eliminate very much of the current leadership. And if, if they did, there would be a, a new Hamas that would be 100 times stronger. Uh, so they don't seem to have any objective, whereas the Palestinians do. The Palestinians want a prisoner swap and they want an end of the blockade of Gaza. And according to the Al Jazeera analysis, that is actually a very conceivable uh, end to this round of fighting. What do you think, Mike? Well, the Israelis are, are killing themselves to some extent. I mean, they're grinding away at Gaza and losing men every day. Uh, they've got... Uh, pulled up all these reservists out of the economy. So they're running out of workmen. They won't let the Palestinians work in Israel anymore. And uh, the, um, uh, they've lost tourism. They've lost foreign investment. Uh, I think they are uh, got themselves between a rock and a hard place. And if they persist with the war, uh, they're going to lose more economically and, and physically. And if they stop the war, they will uh, give more... Uh, emphasis and uh, support from the Palestinian side towards their freedom fighters that are killing their tanks, that are killing their soldiers. And uh, 
they're broadcasting uh, photographs of the Israelis blowing up hospitals and shooting at hospitals and killing civilians. They've got 10,000 dead civilians, of which about 6,000 are women and children. So you sort of wonder about their moral army that they brag about so much. Yeah, the world is definitely waking up to the Zionist genocide of Palestine, thanks to these excesses and outrages. And in this particular prediction in that Al Jazeera piece was that the war could end with the defeat of Netanyahu and his whole right-wing government and their program. And actually, the American administration might not really mind that outcome. Uh, Biden and Netanyahu never got along. And, you know, just like during the Obama administration, when Biden was vice president, the Israelis humiliated Biden when he visited. They hated him. And so some of the people around Biden are maybe not exactly like who Zionists. And so they could live with a kind of semi-defeat of Israel, which took down the current government uh, and gave the Palestinians some of what they're demanding. So that's one of the reasons that it actually could end that way, that maybe the American administration wouldn't be so averse to that. They hate Netanyahu, uh, as, as do the majority of the Israelis, right? Mm -hmm. So it's uh, I don't think that's all that unrealistic. Anyway, there are a lot of great speeches made. Uh, we already mentioned Abu Ubeda. Uh, this was actually last week's, and he's had two more speeches since I took this screenshot. Um, but it's a good way for me to practice my Arabic is to watch uh, Abu Ubeda speaking. I don't, this, did his stuff ever make it like with translation into the Western media? I haven't seen much of it. Not here in D.C. I, I, I doubt it's happening anywhere. I was talking to a relative in Montana just yesterday evening, and he was saying that... Uh, you know, you, where do you go to get information? And uh, I had suggested things like RT that pretty much provides a basic explanation of what's happening uh, in the latest news, in world news, in Russian news, and economic news. Uh, so I, I suggest that you get that and put it on your cell phone and keep up with things because you sure don't get anything out of the Washington Post or the New York Times. And the papers in Montana are very thin and they're mostly online now. And it's local news and not much of that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I would also tell him, go and look at the pieces at the UNS Review. I, I think Ron UNS's stuff and my own stuff, actually, would, you know, kind of, we kind of fill in. Uh, we filled in some of the gaps in the picture that makes it into the Western media. Uh, Max Blumenthal, of course, did that incredibly important article about the fact that it was Israel that probably killed most of the civilians killed on October 7th. And these kinds of uh, the, the, these items. If you want to see through the uh, propaganda matrix, I think that looking at UNS's rubric and my rubric at the UNS Review is not a bad way uh, to, to do it. Um, also, listen to what Nasrallah says. Said uh, Hassan Nasrallah gave two speeches this week, one last weekend and one just a few hours ago. And I watched some of it, but I, try, I was trying to watch his speech on Al Jazeera, and it keeps getting interrupted with new Israeli massacres in Gaza. Like, you know, Israelis just massacred another couple of dozen people in a hospital in Gaza, so they interrupt Nasrallah's speech. But anyway, here's some of what he said. He said, last week, for the first time, we, we used attack drones. We used new missiles to target Israeli bases, carrying warheads of 300 to 500 kilos of explosives. Uh, yesterday, an Israeli medical official from one hospital in the north said they had to receive some 300 casualties. Of course, the Israeli government isn't admitting that. And uh, he finished his speech saying Israel after October 7th is no longer what it was. Its strategic position and its security is diminished. So uh, I don't know if you can tell your friend to go listen to Hassan Nasrallah, but that wouldn't be bad <laughs> advice. <laughs> well, I did have an exchange with an, uh, an African journalist who uh, mentioned that Nasrallah should have kept his mouth shut 
and been more vague and uh, not terribly specific about what was going to happen with Israel. Uh, then on the other hand, uh, a lot of these speeches are uh, kind of like uh, the criticism of Arabs in the, the Arab mind that they're uh, saying something means it has happened or uh, will happen or is is happening now, uh, which they, the, the author based on um, uh, the uh, indeterminate uh, tenses of the Arabic tongue and, and their sentence structure and, and use of verbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, a lot, a lot of this, is, it's not like he's a sort of military analyst giving you specifics about, yeah, but he wouldn't want to give you specifics, right? He's he's yeah. a kind of a political and spiritual leader. And the if you want the specifics, actually, Al Jazeera has this guy, for, what's his name? Uh, there's a, a guy who's a pretty good sort of, you know, Colonel McGregor type of military analyst that goes into great detail on, you know, the, you know, how many centimeters of progress the Israeli tanks have made yesterday <laughs> and, you know, how many tanks got blown up while they did that, things like that. Uh, but it's uh, actually pretty good and I think pretty objective with good sourcing. The Israelis don't want anybody reporting what's going on. They kill, they're killing an average of a journalist every day. I think we're going to cover that story soon. Uh, but, uh, you know, so there's an asymmetry here in information where, you know, the one side, the pro-Palestinian side, wants to get out information and Al Jazeera is doing a really good job, you know, for a big, well-funded, uh, slick network. And then the other side wants to completely black it all out and then shoot anybody who tries to tell you about it, but it's not working. The world's getting the message. And so here's our world for Palestine section, which is that this is actually the headline of our show this week. Uh, Russia is leading the way in breaking off its previously somewhat friendly relations with the Zionist entity. And suddenly, uh, not not so much. Uh, here's uh, Pepe Escobar's analysis on Russia's pivot to Palestine. He points out th- that Putin has directly accused the ruling elites of the U.S. and its satellites, uh, including Israel, of course, being behind the tragedy of the Palestinians, the massacre in the Middle East, the conflict in Ukraine, and many other conflicts in the world. Uh, so Russia is now clearly on the side of the Palestinians and. Israel's UN ambassador, what's that guy's name? Gilad Erdan, that crazy guy who wears yellow stars and he shakes bricks around and says, this is proof that the Palestinians are terrorists. See this brick? I mean, he, this guy is dumb as a brick. And uh, he's, he's now uh, feuding with the Russians. He, he actually got himself arrested and thrown out of the UN a couple of weeks ago. Um, he's, he's kind of the class clown at the UN, I guess. Anyway, well, do you think Russia is going to actually uh, take uh, meaningful steps to change the outcome of what's happening right now in Palestine? Well, they're certainly moving in that direction. In the past, Russia and its um, uh, news media like RT have always been very careful not to criticize Israel. And in fact, this African journalist I know uh, had written for RT and finally resigned over censorship and spiking of uh, articles that had been written. So uh, I, I think for Russia to has come as far as it's as it has just recently in the in battling at the UN and, and linking Ukraine and, and Israel together as part of the Imperial American war plan to destroy the world, uh, I, I think is a, is a big change and I would like to see it move farther. Well, be careful what you wish for. You might get it. <laughs> so it doesn't, uh, doesn't turn into World War III. Well, over in Turkey, uh, there was a huge rally at the Incirlik 
air base where the U.S. keeps nuclear weapons or used to. I guess there's some strategic ambiguity there, but I, I've heard rumors that there are some live nukes there at Insulik, and the Turkish people were storming that air base, and there's a blasted back with water cannons. Uh, it's a huge uh, kind of kind of riot, and you know the Turkish, the people of all of these regional countries are putting a lot of pressure on their leaders to take more active measures in support of the Palestinian resistance. And one would hope that Turkey would be in the forefront of that. Do you have any hope for that? Well, I don't know. I mean, the Turks look like they're carrying water on both shoulders. They're a Muslim country uh, and should have more sympathy for the Muslims, but then they're a NATO country and uh, don't want to antagonize the U.S., which is pumping a lot of money and a lot of protection into the country. Uh, at the same time, they want to get back into the European Union, and the European Union is objecting to their activities. So they, they they want this and they want that, but if they do A, then that precludes them from doing B, and if they do B, that precludes them from doing A. So I, I, I think that uh, they're going to have to come down on one side or the other sooner or later and uh, face the consequences if they defy their own people. Yeah, one would wish that somehow Erdogan could get cut some kind of a deal where the Americans would let him lead a kind of a breaking of the blockade of Gaza, again, to bring down Netanyahu, who the Americans really don't like that much anyway. And if the Americans wouldn't go along with that, the Russians might. On the other hand, uh, does Erdogan have the guts to uh, punch Uncle Sam in the nose and do something like that with the help of the Russians? I doubt it. So, and part of the problem here, Mike, is that the, you know, the, the Palestinian cause is actually winning as things stand, despite this incredible slaughter and genocidal massacre and the suffering of the people of Gaza, all of this is playing out against the Zionists, which makes yeah. it harder. You know, if, if you know, if, if the Palestinian resistance was actually going to lose, then Iran and Hezbollah obviously would totally step in. And a lot of these other countries might actually have, there'd be enough pressure for them to join in. Yeah. But as it stands, it's hard for them to do that. Just because, I mean, you know, like Napoleon said, never interrupt your enemy while he's making a mistake. And the Zios <laughs> are making a big mistake by alienating yeah. the entire world. And every day this continues, the world gets more and more angry at them. Uh, here are some images, Amman, Jordan, uh, there's uh, Istanbul. These, uh, many millions of people have been hitting the streets to support the Palestinian resistance. Two million over in, in one demonstration in Indonesia, a comparably big one in Pakistan, uh, Toronto and Algiers, I mean, all these different totally types of totally different types of places. And Sana'a Yemen, a pillar of the axis of resistance, directly is Yemen is at war with Israel now, firing missiles into Israel. Uh, New York City, the home of world Jewry, more than Tel Aviv, actually has a whole lot of Jewish folks who are saying stop the genocide. Uh, and the U.S. Congress had this huge demonstration, disrupt things. We talked about that last week. Here's Rabat, Morocco, gigantic demonstration in Rabat, also in Tangier. Um, Amsterdam, the Netherlands, uh, Doha, Qatar, uh, Athens, Greece, Barcelona, Spain, Copenhagen, Denmark, and Mumbai, uh, Tokyo, Tehran, of course, uh, where typically millions of people do get out on the street to tweak the nose of the greater and lesser Satans. I'm not sure if they got the identities of those two correct, but in any case, uh, so yeah, the oh. world has made it pretty clear that it's fed up with the Zionist genocide of Palestine. 
And the here's, I think this was in LA actually, um, we have the, uh, we are all Palestinians. Uh, so yeah, this is this whole, the way things are unfolding, it's not benefiting the Zionists. You know, they're no, killing themselves as well as the Palestinians. It's like the demonstrations and the outrage uh, during the Vietnam War that went all through Europe and around the world uh, about American atrocities there. And what they all failed to point out really is that Gaza, the, the, the world's largest open air prison camp, is a little bit larger than Manhattan and the Bronx put together or Washington, D.C. and some of the suburbs going 20 miles to the northeast to Laurel, Maryland, uh, where the NSA's uh, people live. So uh, I, I think that uh, they just simply need to show what the Israelis are doing to one small bit of territory with a pack of 2.3 million people. Indeed. And, you know, there's a sense that we're all Palestinians in that, you know, in, in the West, you know, we're really occupied by the Zionists. And we'll get into yep. some of the details about that, how the Zionist billionaires are uh, terrorizing the next generation of America's elite at our Ivy League yep. universities. But uh, we have a couple other stories to do before that. Here in Morocco, uh, it wasn't just Rabat. There was also, as I mentioned, this big protest in Tangier. And, you know, well, you can say what you want about the Moroccan government and its so-called phony normalization. Yeah. But that's not fooling anybody. Uh, we all know where Morocco stands on this. Uh, their, Morocco's government is just trying to be the kinder and gentler, you know, the, the nice cop in this thing. But even the government here, uh, which does have a strong link with a powerful Jewish community, which itself is linked to the huge Moroccan Jewish group in, in Israel or occupied Palestine. Uh, but even so, uh, I think the, you know, the government here is trying to support the Palestinians uh, through this nice cop routine, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. I'm not going to sit here as a guest in Morocco and beat the crap out of the, the government uh, unless I ever, unless I really have to. And maybe it'll reach that point, but it hasn't yet. Anyway, so uh, how about this Hezbollah attack in Brazil? You know, the, the Zionists have been caught over and over and over attacking Jewish community centers, attacking Jewish embassies. They did it in Buenos Aires twice. I've had Adrian Salbucci on my radio show talking about that. And now, very conveniently, you know, Brazil, which has been strongly standing behind the Palestinian cause, uh, it has been accused of hosting some kind of Hezbollah attack, which the Mossad is bragging about shutting down. And the Brazilian government is, is giving them the middle finger for, for, uh, for yammering about it. No details whatsoever, no specifics. We don't know, you know who was supposedly arrested, what they were plotting to do. It's just a bunch of yammering from Tel Aviv. What do you make of this, Mike? Well, it's two points, really. Uh, one, of course, is that the, the apartheid entity is presenting itself and all world Jewry as the eternal victim. And on the other hand, uh, it's, uh, I think, an indication of what might be coming in the future where people decide that they're going to attack the nearest Israeli Zionist murderer, uh, whether he's uh, uh, walking down the street, running a movie theater, or uh, uh, flying in an airplane someplace. I, I think people are uh, going to uh, take the old baseball adage of hit them where they ain't instead of a direct attack on Israel itself get the Israelis outside of Israel where they're vulnerable and don't have their army and their air force and their Navy behind them. And the, the U S can't possibly protect them all over the world. Yeah, that's very likely uh, coming. I certainly wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I hope that people don't get so angry at Jews that they just go randomly after uh, Jewish people. I would like to think that anybody who was going to ever be doing any kind of political direct action would 
wisely choose their targets. Really, you know, if you're going to lash out at somebody, you know, lash out at somebody who deserves to be lashed out at. Uh, moving on to atrocity hoaxes. That's the next section of our show. And um, George Galloway put out a great tweet summarizing things. Uh, the foul allegations of rape have been dropped by the Israeli government. The 40 beheaded babies has been downscaled to one dead baby, not beheaded and killed by persons unknown. Two thirds of Israelis killed on October 7th were military personnel. The killers of the remaining one third are definitively revealed to have been in part the Israeli armed forces themselves. Those with influence who spread the propaganda to the contrary stand exposed as war criminals, and now much blood stains their character forever. It is a spot that will not out. So that's George Galloway, and uh, Ron Owens did a great piece on this uh, in going into a lot more detail than George Galloway did. So those two guys were uh, were very eloquent this week talking about what really happened October 7th and uh, where did all of this bizarre Zionist propaganda come from. Well, it goes back to the the Americans and uh, their support for the the war on the Iraq, uh, claiming that uh, there were uh, babies being ripped out of incubators, and the person making the statements, it turns out months later, uh, was the daughter of the Kuwaiti ambassador. So uh, it's it's simply more of this hasbar, this lying, this uh, Israeli nonsense that uh, is put out there, and of course people suck it up because they have no alternative to to read about it or hear about it. Indeed. Well, I think that, you know, the, there was one one baby actually was uh, caught on a, a German bayonet in World War One and tossed through time to land in an Iraqi hospital or a Kuwaiti hospital where it was then thrown down on the cold floor. Uh, and then Hamas came in and grabbed it and roasted it in the oven. Uh, you know, this, this these these baby atrocity stories down through history are just you know, what? What can you? And how can you know? People who see this stuff in the Daily Mail actually believe it. Um, it's, well, it's, didn't you uh, read put print something in one of your articles about the uh, the Jews kept going on and on about being made into lampshades and soap when it's really propaganda and imagination and uh, a little bit of uh, uh, you know I, I don't remember writing. I don't think I wrote. I don't anything. Certainly not recently about this lampshades and soap thing, but yeah, when I remember when I was growing up, uh, we were told I don't remember it was textbooks or what the sources were about how the Nazis made uh, Holocaust victims into lampshades and soap, and of course that's uh, one of the many uh, Holocaust revisionist claims that turned out to be true that everybody admits is true. And some of the other ones that haven't been admitted to be true by everybody probably are true as well. But we won't go into that. Uh, Instead, we'll look at these obviously true war crimes. I mean, this is forensic evidence of a war, massive war crime. As, as Ron Unz put it in his article, these are the worst war crimes ever televised in the history of the world. And we're seeing these images live often as they happen uh, in real time. And so that's created a whole new situation. There's never before been a time when sort of this much relatively unfiltered access was there. You know, people can get this unfiltered access by, you know, whether it's watching Al Jazeera or subscribing to the right people's, you know, Twitter feeds and the other social media feeds and so on. And it's it's just going on and on. And it's actually kind of painful to have this, you know, in the background, like, you know, every time I want to practice my Arabic and look at some news now, all I see are these atrocities. And I'm, I'm really getting tired of it. Uh, and here's a Syrian girl, uh, her takedown of the uh, music festival massacre story, uh, pointing out that 
the forensic evidence shows that it was the Israeli military that killed those people at the music festival, not Hamas. Yeah, Hamas might have come in shooting a little bit and then grabbed hostages. And the Israelis came in and killed everybody, the people, the hostages. They mowed down the uh, line of cars uh, on the road. You look at the damage to the cars, and it's obvious that that was not done by Hamas and its small arms. Uh, and then this article uh, by Vanessa Beely gets into another big lie, which is this notion that Hamas uses human shields. There was a big Washington Post controversy over a cartoon that was mocking Hamas for supposedly using human shields. But the reality is that they don't. There's no evidence whatsoever that Hamas has ever used human shields. And in fact, a series of investigations by top shelf investigative mainstream journalists, as well as that one by Amnesty International repeatedly has showed that no, Hamas does not use human shields. But guess who does? Israel does. Israel, as a matter of policy, grabs Palestinian kids and uses them as human shields. One, yet another area where, you know, the uh, the Jew cries out as he strikes you. Yeah, I mean, Vanessa Beeler goes into great detail in that article about how the apartheid entity uh, will have Israeli soldiers firing behind uh, Israeli children, Israeli Palestinian children at people in a building that they want to kill. And nobody dares shoot back because they would kill the, the uh, Palestinian child instead of the uh, Israeli murderer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's and so, so they're, I mean, they're really proficient at having their billionaires buy up the entire media so they can accuse the other side of doing everything that they do themselves. Uh, here's a Washington Post story that actually wasn't so bad uh, that went into what it's like to be a journalist in occupied Palestine right now. And it's pretty dangerous. The Israelis are killing on the average a journalist every single day. And not only that, they're also targeting and murdering the families of journalists as well as happened to, uh, to Daudu. So, um, Washington Post at least mentions this a lot, you know, it interspersed with its insane Zionist propaganda. It occasionally has an article like this that is somewhat truthful. Yeah, I would say it's amazing. I mean, maybe the uh, the Post is beginning to see reality instead of their own fanciful uh, uh, dreams. Yeah, it's and it's kind of it's kind of schizoid. You know, the the New York Times and, and the Post. You know, they they have a couple of these kinds of pieces that are you know showing the reality that those of us who are following Al Jazeera and in similar media are seeing all the time. You know, we've been watching the journalists getting slaughtered, watching their families being deliberately slaughtered by the Israelis for, for over a month now. And it, creep, it crept into the Washington Post uh, alongside these grotesquely biased uh, pro-Zionist articles. Uh, so some some guy named Springman published this. Another Here's another Washington journalist that put something out worth <laughs> talking about. So, yeah, this was a this was a, a good piece, Mike. You summarized a lot of information okay. about the uh, Hasbro propaganda lies. Yeah, they, they went on and on and on about uh, the, oh, uh, we, we are uh, the eternal victim. But when you look at what they do, uh, they attack um, um, students for daring to protest, shining on the walls of George Washington University with his 27,000 Jewish undergraduates, uh, you know, free Palestine from the river to the sea. And that's seen as anti-Semitic and calling for the destruction of Palestine. Uh, yet, as Philip Weiss, in, uh, who's running Mondo Weiss now, who's a Jew, has written in the past that the uh, the Zionists uh, that he worked with, the Jews and his, their supervisors in, in various news organizations, 
uh, had uh, done everything to suppress the the bad side of Israel and, and, and play up the uh, its good side and and, and play uh, that the uh, the Palestinians are savages, etc. Um, and the people lose their jobs uh, because uh, they uh, spoke out against uh, Israel and what Israel has been doing. So it's uh, uh, it, it's really shameful and shocking at how their tentacles go everywhere. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, Ivy League propaganda situation where where the uh, there's a there are protests at, at Harvard and Columbia and other schools. Uh, in fact, that's this uh, this very section, I think, the Jews versus America section that begins with this Jews declare war on America article by Josephus Tiberius. I suppose that's probably a pseudonym um, unless uh, some weird combination of a couple of ancient historians uh, came back and fused into one entity. Anyway, uh, this is a really good article. And you, know, you start the article like, okay, what do you mean Jews declared war on America? Well, the point being that, as you pointed out in your article, Mike, and here uh, this Tiberius guy goes into a little bit more detail, that there's been this huge uh, series of Jewish Zionist billionaires uh, terrorizing the students at America's elite universities who are protesting against the genocide of Gaza. Basically, telling them you'll never work in this town again uh, if you continue to protest. Uh, and you know, here are some examples from the article. Steve Eisman, the senior portfolio manager at Neuberger Berman, uh, said that anybody who holds up a pal free Palestine sign should be expelled. Uh, 27 of the largest law firms in the U.S. issued letters to all the top law schools in the U.S., saying that if they don't stop anti-Semitism, they'll never, these firms will never hire any graduates of those law schools, right? So that means, of course, you can't protest for Palestine. We all know that that's anti-Semitism. And yeah. so, so the point being that if the best and brightest of non-Jews uh, have to, you know, they can't find future employment except at the sufferance of Jews, we will be entering a revolutionary stage where non-Jews have only the option of violent revolution to displace an increasingly oppressive Jewish tyranny. So that's the uh, Jews Declare War on America article. Very strongly worded. And before this accelerated genocide in Gaza started uh, after October 7th, you know, I would have thought this was a little extreme. But at this point, I'm not so sure. Uh, what do you think? Well, I mean, in my article, I point out that like at Columbia University, they put uh, posters on a truck and drove it around the school with the names of people who had signed a letter saying uh, Israel is engaged in murder, war crimes, and human rights violations. And they were putting them out there so people could retaliate against them, like the Canary Mission does in the United States, where uh, you make sure that people who protest don't get jobs, uh, can't. Yeah, Harvard's uh, leading anti-Semites. And so these, these kids, these 20-year-old kids' faces on this huge billboard truck. You know, yeah. you know, these billionaire Zionists should not only be ashamed of themselves, but, you know, when this Tiberius talks about an armed revolution in the Latin American countries, the revolutionaries are really good at, like, kidnapping rich people and getting a ton of money to fund their insurgency. Now, how can these Zionist billionaires not know that, you know, at some point, no amount of security is ever going to protect them? Exactly. And I, I was talking to people the other day and they're saying, well, you know, they're beginning to wonder how stable American society is. And they want to get themselves a, a good rifle and a thousand rounds of ammunition to protect themselves and their family. And, 
you know, on the one hand, that sounds a little extreme. On the other hand, as you can see here, uh, how long are people going to put up with this stuff? And uh, what are they going to do? And, you know, the drone are buying dr weapons from what I've seen. Yeah, well, the drone technology is reaching the point that it's going to be really easy to kill somebody from a pretty safe distance. I mean, they might finally catch up with you, but, you know, uh, these the, the malefactor, the people who are really pissing folks off, you know, those are those people should should stop and think about this that you know they used to be able to have pretty good protection but it's reaching the point now with drone technology being such as this a very cheap a very cheap drone can be used um, at a pretty considerable distance right now for a pretty low sum of money uh so you know these people who put themselves in the crosshairs by doing these sorts of things should really think twice uh yeah, yeah but of course you know the just saying that is going to get us labeled as Holocaust Nazi perpetrators, yada, 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 because it's all one big Holocaust, right? I mean, all the conflict between Jews and non-Jews throughout all of history has always been one big Holocaust in which the non-Jews are always Hitler and the Jews are yep. always the innocent good guys. Uh, and, and how and long can your own bodyguards protect you against drones? Yeah, it, right. You can need an awful lot of bodyguards. Um, and, you know, Hamas is actually showing some of the potential uh, of cheap drones against folks with a lot more money. Uh, and so anyway, here's the New York Times telling us that, oh, those nasty Hamas Nazis are killing those poor Holocaust survivors in Israel. Oh, they're so terrorized. So we're supposed to worry about this. And we're not supposed to notice that 11,000 Palestinian civilians have been murdered by Israel. Uh, maybe six to seven thousand of them uh, women, uh, children. Actually, two more than two or seventy percent are women and children. And that's uh, we're supposed to forget that and say, oh, there are a couple of really old geezers, like ninety-year-olds, who are classified as quote-unquote Holocaust survivors, uh, who were, were terrorized. You think one was actually killed on October? Oh my God, one ninety-year-old Holocaust survivor. Oh my God, was killed, and and seven thousand you know children. Uh, blown to bits or buried under rubble by the Israelis. Who cares about that? Because all we care about are the Holocaust survivors. You know, yeah. they're really going to piss people off. <laughs> and they completely ignore the fact that the Jews themselves brought it on uh, by launching communist revolutions all across Central Europe. And the government in Germany, at least, had to hire warlords to raise private armies to restore order. And when they began disappearing by night and fog later on, when Adolf was in power, I don't think too many people worried about that because they knew about the six years of civil war the Germans had gone through as a result of these uh, these Jewish attacks and revolutionaries. That, that's true. Yeah, the, the, a lot of the reason that the Nazis came to power was people were horrified by what happened uh, after the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia. And, and the Nazi movement was kind of an, really an anti-Bolshevik movement. And part of the reason that many of the National Socialists were anti-Jewish was that they viewed you know, Jews as being a major, the major force behind the Bolshevik Re Re revolution. And they certainly were disproportionately represented. So, uh, so and, 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 you know, Blinken, who is really a party to this genocide at this point, I mean, we're all hoping that he and the Biden administration will, as I say, finally decide to get rid of Netanyahu, but they should have done that earlier. Uh, Whose side are these people really on? Well, Blinken looks like he's on the side of Israel, even if it's led by a psychopathic Netanyahu that he probably personally doesn't like too much. 
And there are all of these ties, uh, such as Blinken's ties to Epstein, through his Holocaust survivor uh, stepfather, Samuel Pisar. You know, everywhere Blinken goes, the first thing he ever says uh, as a diplomat is, uh, oh, my stepfather was a Holocaust yeah, yeah. survivor. Uh, and it turns out this Pizar, he's not only a quote-unquote Holocaust survivor, but he was also uh, the closest uh, advisor to Robert Maxwell, the Mossad super spy, whose daughter, Ghislaine Maxwell, was the pimp or madam or whatever you call it for Jeffrey Epstein's uh, Jewish Zionist operation gathering dirt on American leaders so they could be controlled by Israel. I mean, how can Americans put up with this? Because it never makes the news. And uh, of course, his stepfather, is it Samuel Pisar or Samuel Pisser? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, oh, boy. Well, and, and the Americans are definitely, I mean, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes in terms of we're, you know, going to get some pressure to uh, slow down the genocide again and let it go slow motion like it was before October 7th. But the Americans are helping the Zionists in Gaza right now with these spy drones, monitoring for signs of life and passing potential leads to the IDF. So there are also unconfirmed reports of American special forces on the ground and things like that. Uh, so your tax dollars are at work, folks, uh, paying for this genocidal massacre of six, 7,000 uh, women uh, and children in, in Gaza. But all the, the Americans say that they're, they're drones over Gaza. They're there for humanitarian purposes, to find people trapped underground so they can get help. Well, you know, if they, the Israelis blow up ambulances and blow up hospitals, what kind of help are they going to get? Well, you know, they're passing probably... leads to the IDF about yeah. signs of life under the rubble in Gaza is probably not going to help the people who've been, who were buried under the rubble very much, to say the least. Uh, so Genocide Joe is the latest uh, Twitter meme. Uh, here's Genocide Joe outside the stock exchange. The ch they're chanting about Genocide Joe. Uh, and here's Carlos Latouf's uh, cartoon about that. So I don't know. You, you think Donald Trump is going to pick that one up? He likes uh, he likes insulting uh, Joe Biden, but he's also owned by the Zionists. So maybe uh, Trump okay. is not tweeting this. No, no, the, the Trump Wilsonian is not going to do anything that uh, uh, would uh, conceivably cost him votes, but he's, he's doing it trying to fight both sides against the middle, criticizing Genocide Joe at the same time, supporting all the terrorists in apartheid uh, Israel. And of course, uh, uh, Genocide Joe is facing a political problem now because a big chunk of his Democratic base is aware of what's really going on and, and horrified. And they're deserting him. The American Muslims, of course, have gone from you know voting 60, 70 percent pro-Biden, which, of course, probably was a mistake, to say the least. But now it's down to like, what, 20 percent or something. Uh, and then the hell bitch Hillary Clinton uh, is was the target of a protest at Columbia where these students are upset about what we were just talking about, how the Zionists are threatening to destroy the careers of any students that ever protest for Palestine. And so to uh, publicize this. There was a walkout from Hillary's class. Uh, my question is, what is Hillary doing teaching at Columbia in the first place? And again, you know, these criminals like Hillary who destroyed Libya, like how, how could she get away with even showing up in public to teach at a public university after destroying Libya? I mean, I would be afraid that there would be like at least one person from Libya or somebody who cared about Libya that would be able to put together a drone and uh, terminate her. <laughs> 
I mean, how can people like this still be appearing in public? Well, these simple-minded universities like to have prestige, and they, they have a strange definition of prestige, like uh, you got Hillary Clinton teaching at Columbia, and a few years ago until, thank God, she died, Madeleine Albright was teaching at Georgetown University School of Foreign Service. And uh, when she croaked, uh, the, the school went on and on and on about how wonderful it was. The student newspaper uh, praised her to the skies. And I wrote an article about it. He sent it to the Hoya, the Georgetown student paper, and I sent it to the, um, the president of the school and the Foreign Service School, and it was ignored as usual. But they, they seem to think that uh, having a big name uh, makes up for you know, their, their shameful background. And I, I, I don't fathom that at all. And so what was the point of voting for Trump in 2020 or whenever it was, if, if he's not going to, uh, rather 2016, if he's not going to send Hillary to prison? I mean, that was yeah. really the one promise he made that a lot of people <laughs> took seriously enough to vote yeah. for him. Uh, but there she is at Columbia. Okay, the domestic section of our show, Domestic American Politics, the best place to go to learn about American domestic politics is Russia Today, <laughs> believe it or not. And so we've got some Russia Today stories. Uh, here's one on the American Muslim support has fallen all the way down to 17% for Biden. It was 60% before. Uh, so, uh, Mike, why would, why would the American Muslims be suspicious about this supposed anti-Islamophobia effort from a, uh, an administration that's supporting the genocide of Muslims in Gaza? Well, going back years, you can see what they did after September 11th, 2001, when they rounded up all these Muslims on the basis of them being Muslim, not because they were uh, uh, enemies of the United States and engaged in terrorism. And this goes on to the present uh, with uh, uh, Biden pumping um, uh, $3.8 billion a year or $10 million a day into uh, the apartheid entity, along with a request for another $14 billion to help support them in the war against Hamas. So uh, you've got this anti-Islamophobia uh, 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 and, and Semitic person who is a Jew and a Zionist running the program at the State Department. So uh, I think anybody who buys this uh, anti-Islamophobia should be allowed to have his head canceled. Yeah, I can't really disagree with that. Uh, more bad news for Biden is the Biden family and associates are being subpoenaed. Uh, Congress is digging into the influence peddling operation that involves several members of Biden's family, most notoriously his uh, ill-begotten uh, son, Hunter. Uh, will this actually bring down the Biden crime family, Mike? Well, if the Congress ever really concentrated and did anything substantive, it would if they did to Biden what uh, Biden and the Democrats tried to do to uh, Trump and his people, uh, they'd rip him apart and it would be front page news everywhere else in the world. But unfortunately, uh, they like to talk, they like the posture, and you don't get anywhere. In fact, I was sent a cartoon of a pistol and the caption read, Ruger has come out with a new handgun. It's called the Congressman based on the actions of the Senate and the, the House of Representatives. It doesn't work and you can't fire it. Yeah, it looks that way. We, you know, you, you can't get Hillary in prison. You uh, can't break up the Biden crime family. I mean, all these people seem to have some kind of get out of jail free card. Uh, they can get away with just about anything, um, including genocide right now, of course. Uh, and our political system, such as it is, 
has been getting more and more repressive. It's harder and harder to speak your mind on the internet and not be deplatformed or shadow banned. Uh, and it looks like conservatives have actually gotten the worst of it. When I was growing up, we always assumed that the left and the liberals were anti-censorship and that it was only the conservatives that would ever censor anybody. Usually they would censor people who were indecent and that sort of thing. But now it's actually conservatives getting censored. And uh, this RT article points out the Election Integrity Partnership, uh, a DHS-related group, uh, disproportionately went after these conservative media outlets, which, by the way, I don't particularly like. These very same conservative media outlets are the ones that are cheering for the genocide in Gaza. So they really should all be put on trial for war crimes. Um, on the other hand, you shouldn't have DHS running around targeting them for the wrong reasons. And DHS wants to be uh, the American equivalent of uh, the British Security Service or the German Office for the Protection of the Constitution, uh, essentially spying on its own citizens for no particular reason other than they need something to do. Indeed. Um, well, we're in the decline and fall section, which is just about the end of both the Empire and the False Flag Weekly News Show. Uh, so our first decline and fall story is about the fall of the dollar. The dollar is the pillar that the U.S. empire is built on. That's why we can afford to build 800 military bases, scatter them all over the world, point guns at the heads of all the world leaders and say, take our dollars or else. Um, but if the dollar is not worth so much anymore, if it collapses, if the rest of the world figures out how to get around it, that whole game is, is pretty much finished. And this article uh, from a mainstream source, what was this? Was this Politico? Um, I'm forgetting the source. In any case, it was a, a very august uh, mainstream journal uh, pointing out that BRICS Plus is now in a position to actually take on the dollar in a way that it never has been before. Yeah, more and more countries, uh, like the ones mentioned there, are uh, beginning to trade amongst themselves and other countries in their own currency or a basket of other currencies. And uh, this is having an effect. There was even an article buried in the Post this morning uh, where Moody's has downgraded the United States from uh, stable to um, uh, unstable uh, on the basis of uh, its problems with its dollar, its, its uh, $33 trillion national debt, uh, its inability to keep order at home, its, its wide divisions and uh, uh, splits among the various political entities in the country who seem to spend more time fighting each other than fighting for the people of the country. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, if Moody's is pulling the plug, uh, it's it's getting serious. Uh, here's a New York Times piece from Ross Duha, the kind of a think piece. Uh, and this is your bailiwick, Mike. You've actually written uh, a book yeah. uh, on uh, Goodbye Europe, Hello Chaos, right. about the yeah. immigration situation in Europe. So Ross Duha, uh, it discusses in this think piece in the New York Times, and it's actually worth reading. You know, every now and then there's something in the Times that's worth reading. He points out there's this new piece from Declan Walsh about Africa's youthquake. Uh, Africa, and specifically Sub-Saharan Africa, is the only place on earth that's still producing large families. Every place else is pretty much on track for population uh, contraction. And that youthquake in Africa, uh, that population explosion that's still coming out of Sub-Saharan Africa, is going to be directing um, immigrants or wannabe immigrants towards other parts of the world, but principally Europe. And that's going to radically change the demographics of the planet in a generation or two. And then the other piece by uh, Paul Borland and Philip Pilkington 
uh, discuss how this is going to play out in Britain. And they looked at these projections of Britain's economic and demographic future. And the problem is that with the demographic shrinking because the natives aren't having enough kids, if you don't start bringing in large numbers of these immigrants, your economy is dead in the water or worse. But if you do bring in these immigrants, you end up with a really volatile political situation where you know people don't appreciate being totally replaced, especially not this fast. And those yeah. projections are really crazy. Like, you know, to keep the economy going in Britain in was it like 30 or 40 years, they're gonna they're gonna actually at that point, they're gonna have to have like 50% of the population foreign born. And then a lot of the rest of it is gonna be next generation foreign born. So basically the British people are gonna be gone. Uh, yeah. And and Ross Duhat notices that, you know, this is this really politically sustainable? What you know, what could be the possible solution to this? And of course, the obvious one, as he mentions at the end of his piece is uh, maybe these countries need to raise their birth rates a little bit. <laughs> well, the thing of it is, and I, I quoted a source in my book, Visas of uh, uh, Goodbye Europe, Hello Chaos, which is translated into German and Spanish. Uh, the guy said the birth rate in sub-Saharan Africa is such that the economies cannot possibly absorb these people. There are no jobs uh, to go around for the, uh, the people that are being pumped out, and they're going to flood into Europe and elsewhere. And uh, another source I had seen had a very good point that the, the Germans uh, were saying, oh, well, we need to uh, reinforce our birth rate so we can, uh, or, or uh, payment into our social security system so that people won't uh, go hungry, uh, you know, 20 years down the road. But what they miss is, well, what happens when the, all the people they brought in as migrants to sustain their system of, of social benefits want their round of social benefits and uh, are they going to bring in another wave of migrants to pay for the first wave of migrants? So they, they don't look and think and, and analyze, really. And, and that's what this piece by Moreland and Pilkington says, according to Duhat, uh, that, you know, don't think that you can solve your problem with one wave of migrants, because what happens is that wave of migrants that you bring in now, they actually are going to join the larger culture and their birth rate then is going to go way down real fast. And you're going to have to keep bringing even more migrants next generation. You can't solve your problem quickly. And so the only long-term uh, solution to this would be either to find some way of having people not care that their country is like, you know, that their group, you know, their, their nationality gets totally replaced really fast. Uh, or you would have to basically uh, raise the, raise the birth rates in those countries, and yeah, well, you know, the simplest just... solution is to have a uh, uh, aid plan to build the economies of these these countries that are producing so many people, uh, and they can be absorbed in their own economy. But they, they don't think that far ahead. Uh, they drive them out to America's wars in the Middle East, Southwest Asia, and North Africa, uh, and then have no idea what's going to happen after that. Of course, they migrate. And uh, if you rebuild their economy, they might well go home and enjoy their own culture. Yeah. And, and you know, I guess one other possible solution to this would be that if these countries like Britain, for example, chose to have a very stagnant or uh, contracting or even collapsing economy, and they were OK with that, and they were still able to police their borders and stop the potential immigration, that would la that might work for a while. But I think part of the reason that they, you know, that, that the serious policymakers are not wanting to do that is that that path would still lead to possibly a hostile invasion in the future. That is, 
if you harm your own economy to, you know, to that degree, you won't be able to afford to defend yourself. <laughs> and mm -hmm. and, they're, and rather than coming in, you know, relatively peacefully, you're likely to have some other country come and prey on you in an organized military raid, right? So that's that's one reason that, you know, there's a lot of these people, I think, think that uh, just walling off your country and not allowing any immigrants to come in is just not an option because the your economy will collapse to the point that they're going to come in anyway, and they may have to do it at gunpoint. So, so it, I think it's a, it, it's a tougher solution than a lot of folks realize, or tougher problem to solve than a lot of folks realize. And the anti-immigration people, I think, maybe haven't really thought about that economic problem uh, with keeping the birth rates as they are, keeping the immigrants out. And then what happens when your economy collapses? I mean, this, that's the reason that the policymakers today are opening their borders and having this huge amount of immigration. It's because they've determined that the political instability of a collapsing economy will be a lot worse than, than from just bringing in these immigrants. Because we're just not having enough kids. That's, I mean, that's the problem uh, for, for the economy to continue to chug along the way we're used to. But maybe the orca terrorists will save us. Uh, <laughs> Here in Morocco, the terrorism scare is the orca terrorism scare right now. A, uh, the killer whales are sinking ships off the Straits of Gibraltar, off the Moroccan coast. And all sorts of people are wondering why they're doing that. Maybe they think that there are Zionists in the boats. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but they need to be sent down to the other end of the Mediterranean. That's where the Zionist boats are. Uh, well, Mike, uh, it's been good doing the show with you. Do you have, do you have any comments on the killer whale issue? Yeah, it's kind of a fishy story to me. <laughs> fishy story to end with, and that's where we're going to have to leave it. Well, thank you so much, Dr. J. Michael Springman. It was good talking with you. Uh, God bless. It. Keep up the great work. Okay, okay. likewise. Uh, see you, you next time. Bye-bye. Okay. Inshallah. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.